Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your heart and mind as our pastor, Chip Pendleton, brings us the Word of God. Well, we're continuing our series called Fight Club, and today we're going to be talking about fighting bad theology. Fighting bad theology. Anybody here ever run up against bad theology before? You've heard me preach before, haven't you? Yeah, I knew it. I knew it. Well, I'm running up against bad theology all the time. A lot of the stories I'm going to tell you, you probably have already heard because, uh, you know, uh, they just kind of stand out in my mind as I think about bad theology. Uh, But I I remember one time I pastored in Virginia. It's a town of 7,500 people. Everybody knew everybody. Uh, I was in the grocery store, and a lady walked up to me who went to another church, and she said, Pastor Chip, I'm going to start coming to your church. And I said, oh, well, that's great. Well, why are you going to do that? And she said, well, I found out this week that my pastor is human and makes mistakes. And I said, well, let me save you the time right now, and I'll just tell you that I make plenty of mistakes, and I'm more than human. And she said, in what area? And I said, any area you want to choose. I don't care what it is. You pick any area, and I'm not going to be perfect. Well, she didn't like that answer, and she didn't come to our church because she found out that not only was her pastor not perfect, she found out I wasn't perfect. Now, that may really hit some of you today to think that I'm not perfect, uh, as you see here. You know, Dawn has lived with me, you know, for decades now. Dawn, you always thought I was perfect, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. I always got to have a plant there or something like that. You know, no, look, none of us are perfect. We all mess up. We all do things that are wrong. You're never going to be perfect in any area of your life. You might try to have the best marriage in the world, but you're not going to be the best spouse ever. You might try to be the best parent, but you're never going to end up being the best parent ever. We all make mistakes. So where do we get this idea that somehow the minister was supposed to be perfect and never have any flaws? Where does that bad theology come from? I was just reading an article recently, uh, uh, Focus on the Family had some stats from uh, surveys on the Bible from years ago. If you probably remember some of these, they were kind of funny. 12% of the people thought Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. I mean, seriously, people, it's his sister. You know, it's not his wife. And then, you know, 25% thought that Billy Graham preached the Sermon on the Mount. Well, he probably preached from it, so that's kind of the same thing, isn't it? You know, as you you kind of get in there. And then 50% thought Sodom and Gomorrah were married. They're not. Read the Bible. They were engaged, but they never got married. And so we get bad theology for a lot of reasons. And today we're going to be over starting in Luke, in Mark chapter 1. And we go through Mark 1 and 2. And we're going to look at story after story where Jesus was confronted by the religious leaders. And the problem the religious leaders had every single time was bad theology. And we're going to talk about what was the bad theology they had in each of these stories. And why is it important that we not fall into that trap. So we're going to start over in Mark chapter 1, verse 32. And the first problem, the first bad theology we find is this. We make faith all about us. 
We make our faith all about us. And the solution to that is that our faith is supposed to be about God and other people. So we make it about us, but it's supposed to be about God and other people. So two stories. The first starts over in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, down to verse 32. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many of them of various diseases. He drove out many demons, but he wouldn't let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everybody's looking for you. And Jesus replied, Let's go somewhere else. Now, this is kind of an amazing story. This is the very start of Jesus' ministry. He, he does some healings. Uh, he preaches some mighty words. And a huge crowd of people start to gather around. He's gotten famous immediately. I mean, suddenly his church went from 12 people to hundreds of people. And everybody wants to hear him preach. And so that morning, everybody's saying, where's Jesus? We want to see him. We want to see the healings. We want to hear the words. And the disciples can't even find him. They finally find him outside of town praying by himself. And they come and they say, what are you doing? There's a huge crowd waiting to hear you preach. And you know what Jesus says? Now let's go somewhere else. Now is that how most ministers act? Do most ministers think, wow, I'm building a church. It's really exploding. People are coming from everywhere to hear me preach. I guess I'll go somewhere else now. No, we like to build our kingdom on earth. But the fact of the matter is, that's bad theology. Because when theology becomes about you, when your faith becomes about you, what you want, what's good for you, what's going on with you, that's where we start missing the boat altogether. Because our faith is supposed to be about God. You start with God, not with yourself. If you start with yourself, you're always going to get off kill. You need to start with God. And not only do you start with God, the next thing you start with is other people. You know, we're told love God, love people. Those are the the two greatest commandments in the law. And if that's what we're to start with, then if you always go back to yourself, you're always going to be missing the point of what your faith is about. The whole health wealth gospel that became so famous a few years ago that, that if you live right and if you do what you were supposed to do, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. That all came from a theology that's centered around the self. What's good for me? The simple fact of the matter is, for a lot of people, when you accept Christ, that's when life gets tough. You might, you might have some people against you. You might be persecuted. You might have people that, that, that drop you off of their friend list or whatever. Don't get invited to parties. Whatever. I don't know. But it doesn't mean when you accept Christ, you're always going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. But when everything revolves around us... That's where theology gets to. And that's always going to be bad theology. It's exactly what happened with the children of Israel. The children of Israel made the faith about them. They were special. They were called. God was supposed to love them and take care of them. And what they didn't understand is, no, the purpose of Israel was to be a light to the rest of the world. And the same is still true of churches today. The purpose of the church is to be a light to the rest of the world of the things of God. And if all we are are a country club trying to cater to the needs of our members, we've totally lost focus on who we are and what we're about. We're supposed to be reaching out and changing the world, not just taking care of each other. 
And so then we begin to say things like, okay, what's the church going to do for me? It's all about me. Are you going to meet all of my needs? Are you going to make sure I'm happy? Are you going to give me all the programs I want? I'm sorry, I'm going to go to another church. They just built a racquetball court. You all just have tennis courts, you know, you know, what, whatever, you know, uh, as you get into it. And it becomes a competition of who's going to baby people the most. Instead of a competition of who's going to change a world that is lost and hurting and dying with the love of Jesus Christ. And so a bad theology will always get us to center on ourselves instead of centering on God and other people. Look down to Mark chapter 2. We have a second story, Mark chapter 2. And the problem was this. We listen to the wrong authorities. We listen to the wrong authority, and the solution is we need to trust Jesus and follow the Bible as our authority. Look down to chapter uh, two. Now, this is the famous story of Jesus' teaching. They bring the man who is paralyzed. They, they take the roof off the house, lower him down to Jesus. Jesus sees their faith and says, man, I, I can't believe the faith you've had. Your sins are forgiven. The religious leaders begin to argue among themselves, who's he to forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And that brings us down to verse eight of chapter two. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Is it easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And he got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this before. This was a question of authority. The religious leaders were saying, no man has the authority to forgive sins. And they were right. Only God can forgive sins. They were missing, though, that Jesus was God. They they hadn't been made aware of that. And so it was all a question of authority. A problem that will always lead to bad theology is when you listen to any authority except God and the Bible. So what are authorities we listen to instead of the Bible? Well, we listen to our culture, for one thing. Whatever the culture says, that's what we're going to go along with, and then we try to adapt the church to the culture. Now, the church should always be changing. The church should always be changing to reach out and, to, and to, uh, to have an impact in its current day and age and to be relevant, but you don't change what you believe. There's a difference between being relevant and keeping up with the times, and, and, and then there's, there's a, a thing about, okay, that's true, but it doesn't mean you change what you believe about God. I pastored a church that uh, wasn't keeping up with the times to the extent that when air conditioning came around, which was a long time ago. They didn't believe you could air condition the church. It was a sin to put air conditioning in the church. And it became a big fight in the church. And there were arguments like this. God didn't want us to have air conditioning. He wants us to listen to him, not be, not be happy and satisfied in our pew. And so the first time I brought up putting in air conditioning in the church, it lost. And then I got smarter. The longer you're a pastor, the smarter you get. And the next time we brought it up was a business meeting in July. And it was like 110 degrees. And I said, how about air conditioning? And we go, oh, amen, amen. We want air conditioning. That's just saying, okay, we're not going to keep up with the times. But what's entirely different when you begin to change, okay, now my culture is saying I have to believe something different than the Bible teaches. 
You know, 200 years ago, slavery was held in almost every country in the world. Today, slavery is outlawed in almost every country in the world, but there's still 350 million countries where there were 350 million people in slavery in this world. And so we look at it and we say, okay, what does that mean? Does that mean 200 years ago, if every country had slavery, slavery was okay? And today, slavery is not okay in our country, but it's okay in other countries? No, it's always wrong. To enslave another human being is always wrong, regardless of what your culture says. If you follow the culture, you're constantly going to be changing because there isn't a baseline for you to follow. And the Bible is the baseline that we are supposed to follow. The Bible is unchanging. The Bible is always going to teach the same thing. Isaiah 48 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And so some things don't change. It's always going to be wrong to lie, to cheat, to steal. All of those things in the Ten Commandments, to commit adultery. Those things are not negotiables regardless of what our culture says. A second authority we use, though, is not just the culture. Sometimes we use our feelings as how we're supposed to believe in our faith. And so we constantly follow our feelings. How do I feel about this particular issue? Does it make my heart warm or something like that? Well, you know, your feelings, again, are going to come and go. Your feelings are not an adequate barometer. When somebody tells you, just follow your heart, don't. Your heart is the most fickle thing in the world. It will change back and forth. You will be really revved up and excited one moment and totally depressed the next. Don't follow your heart. Follow a reliable guideline of truth, which is the Bible. And so one of the problems we have with bad theology is when we start following the wrong authority. The wrong authority will always take us where we don't want to be. It will always get us places that we don't want to go. We're following the culture we're following how we feel. I remember one time I was at a funeral, and uh, the guy who was, who was uh, preaching the funeral, the pastor, uh, in, the mi- in the middle of his message said this, you may be wondering why someone so young and strong was, was taken away from you. And the answer is very simple. God loved him and wanted him more than you do. And I thought, that may be the worst theology I've ever heard. And then afterwards the brother of that guy came up to me and said, do you think that's true? That God took him because he loved him more than me? And I said, no. And he said, well, good, because if that was the case, I would hate God the rest of my life. You see, it was just a way of saying, well, this is how I feel. I want you to feel good too. But, But sometimes bad theology actually hurts people in the way that we put it out. So bad theology, you've got to know what authority you're coming from. Our authority is God and the Bible. The third problem, look over to Mark chapter 2, verse 13. Mark 2, thir- verse 13. We want bad people judged. We want bad people judged when the solution is we need to love all people and want them saved. We want bad people judged? No, we want all people saved. Look down to verse 13 of Mark 2. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. So Levi is a tax collector. Tax collectors were the most hated people in town because they weren't just collecting taxes. They were collecting taxes for a foreign occupying power, Rome. 
And so they were traders collecting taxes. And the way you got your money was that whatever you could get out of the people, you owed Rome so much, you got to keep the rest. And so they were considered liars, cheats, and traitors. Jesus goes up to a tax collector sitting in his booth with everybody around grumbling and hating him and says, hey, come follow me. And he gets up and follows Jesus. Verse 15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, again, you don't eat dinner at a tax collector's house if you're a good person. Many tax collectors and sinners also ate with him. Even his disciples were there who followed him. And when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? What's wrong with him? You stay away from people like that. You don't get near them. And upon hearing this, Jesus said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I haven't come to call righteous people, but sinners to God. Totally missing the point. See, they divided the world, the religious leaders, into two groups, good people and bad people. And, of course, they're always the good people, you know, and the other group's always the bad people. You may do that today. Divide the world up into all different groups, good people, bad people. However you may see that. And whenever you start dividing people into groups, you're immediately going to get to bad theology very quickly. Because God only divides people into two groups. And those two groups are this. People who have found his love and grace and people who have not yet found it. Those are the only two groups that God, God divides people into. And so we divide people into all kinds of groups. And that bad theology leads to all kinds of sin and abuse by the church. And so we justify racism because you're not in my group. Or we say, well, you know, this is a church for rich people. Or this is the church for white people. Or this, this is the church for uh, uh, people from this country. And we begin to divide ourselves up. And whenever you divide yourself up, you're going totally against the gospel. In, in this instance, they're dividing them in between good people and bad people. Now, what's the problem with that? The problem with that is if you want to divide the world into good people and bad people, guess what? There's only one group of people, and guess who they are? They're bad people. There's not a person in this, war, in this room that deserves to go to heaven. There's not a person in this room that can save themselves. The reason Jesus came was to die on the cross to take your sins upon him that you might be forgiven even when you didn't deserve it. And so when you start thinking, okay, I'm now going to divide the world into good and bad, guess what? You're all on the bad side, even you. It's like you had a disease and somebody gave you medicine that got you better. You, you, were, you were sick, you looked awful, they gave you this medicine and suddenly you got better. And now you look at people who haven't received the medicine yet and you think, I'm so much better than they are. Look, I'm healthy and, and uh, feeling good and look how sick they are. I'm just a better person than them. No, you found the medicine, they haven't gotten it yet. And that's how God sees the world. People who have found the medicine of his love and grace and forgiveness and people that shouldn't. Whenever we divide the world up into good people and bad people, we're going to start missing the boat. When I was in uh, at a former church, we had a big celebration on Labor Day in the park. And uh, our church had a booth uh, at the Labor Day celebration. And so we got a really expensive Bible, uh, you know, study Bible that we were going to give away uh, on Labor Day there. And so people came in, you know, uh, they, there was a drawing for the Bible. And at the end of the day, we drew for the Bible. And this, this young guy won it, and he was all excited. And he came up and 
got the Bible and I gave it to him, you know, and he hugged me and he walked off and, and he's showing the Bible to people. And one of the members of our church walked up to me and he said, I don't believe this. This is awful. And I said, what? And he goes, we just got an expensive Bible and that guy's about to go to prison for the next three years and we gave a prisoner a Bible. Isn't that awful? And I said, no, it's a miracle. It's a miracle that out of every name in that jar that God led us to the name of somebody who really was going to benefit and need that Bible. That's a miracle. There aren't good people and bad people. There's people that need to hear the word of God and people that have been changed by the word of God. That leads us to the fourth bad theology of the five we're going to look at. And the fourth one is this. We follow the letter of the law when we should be following the purpose of the law. We follow the letter of the law instead of following the purpose of the law. Now, in 18 through 22, there's a story about Jesus and his disciples and uh, why his disciples don't fast. So the religious leaders are mad because Jesus and his disciples are not fasting. And Jesus basically says, you don't fast when there's a party going on and I'm the bridegroom and they're here partying with me. But then in verse 23, then they get mad because they're eating. So first they're mad because they're fasting. Now they're mad because they're eating. Look down to verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples walked along. They began to pick up some of the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing that which is unlawful to do on the Sabbath day? So the disciples and Jesus got up late for church. Has anybody here ever gotten up late for church? You could be a disciple. Okay, that, that's right there. You got, got number one right now. Not only were they late for church, they were so late they didn't eat breakfast. Okay, got a coffee shop over there with donuts. You can walk right in and get that when you leave. And so the disciples, when they were passing through, just grabbed some grain, grain uh, stalks off, and they began to eat the grain in their hands. You know, that was it, trying to get a little breakfast. They were hungry. And the religious leaders saw it. They said, oh, my goodness, the Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy and do not work on the Sabbath day. They are working on the Sabbath day. Why are they sinning on the Sabbath day and doing that which they weren't supposed to do? Now, look how Jesus answers this, verse 25. He says, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God, ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat, and gave to to his companions. All right, very quickly, all he's saying in this is this. When David and his men were hungry and running from Saul, they went to Abiathar the priest, and they said, We're starving. Do you have any food? And Abiathar says, All we have is the food that's for the priests. And David said, good, we'll eat it. Well, you weren't supposed to eat food that was made for the priests. Why did they eat it? Does anybody know? Because they were hungry. It wasn't not to feed a starving person. It was to make sure the priest had food. Priest had food. Somebody's starving. You don't say, I'm sorry, that's priest food. You can't have it. No, Jesus said they ate it because they were hungry. But then look at what Jesus says next. This is the important, verse 27. Then he said this to them. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Verse 27, he says, you miss the point. You keep the letter of the law and miss the purpose of the law. Because this is the purpose. The Sabbath was not something that was created for people to follow. God didn't say this. I create Sabbath, and now you must follow Sabbath. 
That's not what happened. God created people. And then he said to help people and to make people's lives better, I'm going to give people the Sabbath because people need a day of rest and recreation in their lives each week. Sabbath wasn't made for people to follow. It was made to benefit people. And so Jesus said, you're missing the whole point of what Sabbath is about. It's not some law out there that stands by itself. It's something that was given to make people's lives better. So they were majoring on the minors and totally missing the point of what was going on. I have learned that if somebody has bad theology because they're following the letter of the law, you might as well not argue with them. So I've totally gotten out of the argument business with people over some of these subjects where they they, they strain at a gnat and swallow a camel because you're not going to change your mind, you know, because this is the way it was. Hey, look, my grandpa had bad theology, my daddy had bad theology, and I've got bad theology, and there's nothing you're going to do about it. And so I just finally said, well, fine, you know, you know, it's, it's, you know, you go live in your world, whatever, you know, but you're not going to change somebody's mind in those areas. Uh, when I pastored out in Trimble County, there, there was a thing, you have to be baptized in Jesus' name. If you didn't say Jesus during the baptism, you went to hell. And I said, well, you know, that, that's not in the Bible. And they quote, it says right here they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And I said, well, it says right here they were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's talking about the authority in which they were baptized. And they'd say, all right, well, fine, then you'll go to hell because you're not baptized in Jesus' name. And I said, no, I'm going to heaven because I'm forgiven by Jesus and you're getting there by being baptized in his name. And then I finally learned, this is not an argument I am going to win. And you know what the guy did? He went and put on his side of his barn you must be baptized in Jesus' name. Okay, well, that's great. There were people in my church that came to me and said, look, we know what you're saying is right, but when we're baptized, will you still throw Jesus in there? And so I'd say, sure. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, who is named Jesus, and now you're saved, and the Holy Spirit. So you're following the letter of the law, but you're missing the whole point of what the law is all about, that's always going to lead to bad theology. But more than that, it's not going to just lead to bad theology. It's going to lead to you constantly missing the point and not being where God wants you to be. And it brings us to the last bad theology we look at. The problem we center on things instead of people. We center on things instead of people when we need to make loving God and loving people our priority. Look down to chapter 3, verse 1. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath day. Now, you've got to understand, these stories build one upon another. And so the religious leaders are getting angrier and angrier at Jesus. He's not going along with bad theology. He's confronting it every time. And so now they're in the synagogue. There's a guy with a withered hand, and they say, great. If Jesus shows up and heals this guy, he's working on the Sabbath and he's proved that he's not a good religious person. So Jesus comes in and he knows what they're thinking. So you don't want to anger people, right? He knows they're thinking if he heals this guy, he's a sinner. So Jesus walks in, sees the man with the shriveled hand, verse 3, and says, stand up in front of everybody. So Jesus is is playing it low-key here, right? Not quite. Keep on reading. Verse 4. Then Jesus asked them, 
Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do evil? To save a life or to kill? And they remained silent. Why did they remain silent? Because they didn't care about the man at all. They didn't care about his hand. They didn't care about his condition. They cared nothing about him at all. They cared about their law. Was Jesus going to work on the Sabbath day? And Jesus is trying to get them to see the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law wasn't to help, wasn't to keep someone from being helped. If you're a doctor and you can help someone who's hurting, you're supposed to help someone. You don't stop doing good because it's the Sabbath day. That's the day you should do good. But they've remained silent. And then verse 5 is one of the the most interesting verses in the Bible because you think of of meek, mild-mannered, loving Jesus. He looked around on them in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Why was Jesus so distressed at the religious leaders? Because they were totally missing the point of what their faith was all about. They made their faith about things when the truth of the matter was faith is all about God and other people. It's not about us. It's about God. It's about others. I'm here to tell you God doesn't care about your church building. God cares how your church building is used to help people who don't know him and to encourage people who do. God doesn't care how big your budget is. He wants to know what's your budget doing to make a difference and to help people. All the things we center on and we think are so important and we we get so upset about, God doesn't care about at all. God cares about people and we tend to care about things. Let's see what happens. Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. And then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. People don't like it when you point out their bad theology isn't where it's supposed to be. And so now they're plotting to kill Jesus. You see, over and over again, we start to center on things instead of people. And it's always going to lead us away from where we're supposed to be. Because things isn't what God centers on. God loves you. Jesus came and died for you. And when we make faith about anything but loving God and loving other people, that's when we start getting away from what God really wants. When I was in Virginia, we had a, uh, a very small children's group when we first start, started there. And we had some people in the church uh, that said, hey, we want to really get a children's ministry going. I was real young then. We'd had our first baby, first baby in the nursery in years. And then it was like the, the faucet went off. And there were babies being born right and left. And, and young families started to come into the church. And so we had vacation Bible school at the end of that year. And we had, for a, a church the size we were, uh, a great, we had over 100 kids in Bible school. And we'd been averaging six or seven when I, when I first got there. And it was great. We did something called Sun Country Farm. It was, it was a, a farm theme for Bible school. And we had these elaborate backdrops that people uh, had put up and everything. And it, everything went so well that when it was over, I said, keep all the backdrops up on Sunday morning because I want people to see, just to be as excited as we are about what went on in the children's ministry this week. Well, people came into a church, and they looked up, and this is a, a very uh, uh, you know, neat, elaborate sanctuary. It's got Tiffany, literally Tiffany stained glass windows, this pipe organ, and there was this farm scene on the stage. And people did not like it at all. 
And one person, I walked in not knowing this, and the Bible school director is in tears. And I said, what's the matter? And she said, Every, everybody's yelling at me because all the stuff's up on the stage. And one guy said, there's a picture of a pig on the stage. Did you know a pig is an unclean animal that cannot be eaten? And I said, you got to be kidding. And so I, got a, I, I am actually very, the most non-confrontational person in the world. But I got up that Sunday morning and I said, hey, we had a great Bible school this week, and I wanted this kept up. And so it was so you could see how good Bible school was. And I can't imagine anybody not being so excited about what happened this week. But if for some reason you're not, please see me afterwards. I would love to talk to you. <laughs> Guess how many people came and talked to me? Zero. Nobody. When you start to make it about things... My sanctuary doesn't look the way it was supposed to. I don't like the way my sanctuary looks now because you were ministering to 100 children this week. Suddenly you begin to say, okay, where are we? Where are we supposed to be? Bad theology. Bad theology can hurt people. It can lead us astray, and it can stop the kingdom of God. We're always going to disagree on things in the Bible. That's just going to be something that happens. Nobody's ever going to agree on anything. If you have two Baptists in a room, you can have at least three opinions. I promise you that is going to be the case. I had a friend that had a sign on his desk that said, please don't bother agreeing with me. I just changed my mind. And, uh, you know, so that's the way it's going to be. But there are things that will lead to bad theology. When you center on the things that don't matter in the letter of law instead of the purpose of the law. When you make it about things instead of about people. When it becomes about you instead of about God and others. And so as you go and you look this week to say, Lord, help me to be a person that does something very simple. Love you. Love other people. If you do that, you're probably going to hit good theology most of the time. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you. For loving us so much. Thank you for the change you brought in our lives. Father, we know none of us are ever going to have perfect theology. None of us are going to understand everything. But Lord, help us to get that big picture. That big picture of loving you and loving others. And knowing that's going to lead us down the right road more times than not. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we come to this time of invitation where you're being invited to what God says to you. During this time... If you've got needs or problems in your life, you can come pray at this altar. We've got ministers that would like to pray with you as well if you want to come down. You can come at this time and say, I want to join this church and be a part of what this church is doing. The most important decision you'll ever make is to come and say, I want Jesus in my life. Follow him as Lord and Savior. You can make that decision today as well. Maybe for some of you it's just to say, hey, I've gotten a little sidetracked. I'm starting to center on things that really don't matter in my faith or my faith's become all about me. And you just want to set that aside and say, Lord, help me just love you and love other people. But wherever you are, whatever God is saying to you today, you respond. as. Thank you, VBC, for just one second. And if Michaela and Sean and Samuel would come down. Don't forget, immediately after our second service in the gymnasium, come on up here. Uh, is our Memorial Day picnic. Uh, we'll have uh, pork chops, hamburgers, hot dogs. Uh, that, that will all start around 12 o'clock down in the fellowship hall. And uh, anything that you give will go either towards church benevolence or student missions. Well, Samuel, you come on over here first. Miss Jeannie, come on up. Samuel is a Kentucky State champion in Bible drill. And... Uh, <laughs> 
So you have to go from church drill to association drill to state drill. And generally, kids get better as they go along. Samuel started with a perfect score and ended with a perfect score. And so that was really good. Congratulations, Samuel. So very proud of Samuel. And then we have Sean and Michaela. Sean and Michaela have been our interns uh, for the last year, and they are winding up their internship uh, here today, as, as a matter of fact. And I uh, wanted to let you know what's going on in both of their lives so that you can pray for them. And uh, then we have the three of them go down, and uh, you can come by and say a word to them. Uh, Sean, this summer, will be working with a team of missionaries in, is it Catania? Catania, Sicily. Uh, he's going to be uh, working with Care for Catania, and he's going to be working with refugees who will be coming into that area, and he'll be doing evangelism, relationship building, uh, searching for persons of peace, and initiating and leading Bible study groups with refugees from North Africa. So Sean's going to have a busy summer, and we certainly appreciate Sean and everything that he did uh, this year for us. God bless you. Sean missed last Sunday because he was graduating from Louisville Presbyterian Seminary uh, with his Master's of Divinity degree. So, just like that, he became educated. It just, it just, it just happened. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty impressive. And then we have uh, Michaela Riggle. Michaela has been our student intern for the last year. And oh, look, I got your picture up there. I I'm not in the picture either. I don't Sorry. know about that. Uh, yeah. uh, but Michaela has been such a, a blessing, such a, a refreshing for our, our whole program. Uh, when we first uh, got her as intern, I was talking to Steve Wigington from the FCA, and Steve said, Oh, man, you just hit a home run uh, there. And I said, well, I think she hit a home run, too, being here, being here with us. <laughs> but uh, Michaela uh, is just accepted a position as the girls minister and operations associate at the Southwest Campus of Southeast Christian Church. Now, what does that mean? She's going to be working with female, middle, and high school students, and she'll also uh, be spearheading all operations and administrative initiatives for the student ministry of Southwest Campus of Southeast Christian Church. So congratulations, Ms. Michaela. So we're very proud of, of both of these people and uh, just uh, so excited to see all that God is going to do. Uh, in their lives. So uh, I'm going to have a closing prayer, and then if the three of you will just go down, and people will come by and act like they like you, okay? And, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> as you guys, you get the, yeah, nothing new. Yeah, okay, okay. So uh, let's close with a prayer, and uh, then you come by and say something to these fine people. Father, uh, first of all, thank you for Samuel and, and uh, uh, just all that he has learned and how it's going to stay with him his whole life uh, uh, with the skills that he's gotten with the Bible, and just thank you for him. And his desire, pray especially for Sean and Michaela today as they start their new ministries for you really very quickly. And uh, just pray that you would encourage them, that you let them know that you are with them. Uh, give them opportunity. Give them uh, your grace. And, Father, help them to know you've got great things planned for them in their ministries. And we appreciate them so very, very much. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, keyword mywrbc. 
At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for another message from God's Word.